and I started to really just think of how I was going to leave. I started to think of how this is actually going to happen because um, I felt to myself like if I had just been a little older, I could have left sooner, I could have saved him. So I'm like guilting myself. So pretty quick, I decided that I got to figure out how I'm going to actually do this. And so let's see, I would have been 15 at the time. I started just rebelling in ways that I knew I could. So for girls, it's really hard, as I'm sure you experience. like, well, you experience the side where guys get sent to work. They just get sent to be little worker bees. Yep. And when I was younger, <laughs> I used to get so jealous that the boys got to go to work and I had to stay in town. Like, mm. yeah, <laughs> I wanted to go out there and work too. Yeah, And that was, and, but I don't think it was that fun for the boys of that most of the time, you know, like, yeah, no, it's true. And at the same time, it wasn't really fun to always be working. But at the same time, we felt like it would be better than just staying in town. So absolutely. So, you know, people ask, well, weren't you like super frustrated that you had to work all the time? Well, in my experience, it's what all the older boys were doing. So we just wanted to go leave town and do what they were doing. So, you know, it was yeah, almost do what the big boys were doing. Exactly. I, that was yeah. in my grandfather's house. That was a big thing. It was like, everyone looked up to the big boys and like so everyone wanted all especially all the little boys wanted to do what the big boys were doing yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so you always wanted to go out after you were 15 and you started rebelling in the ways you could so the ways i could were like i um i actually stopped this at 13. i stopped wearing my long underwear at 13. oh that's a big and deal my mom had such a conniption every time she <laughs> found out go put your long underwear back on right now, Celesta. <laughs> and, and I'd be like, well, it's hot. It's itchy. I don't want to wear it. And so she goes and finds this special, soft, lightweight fabric, the lightest weight, white, stretchy fabric you can find. Wow. And asks our underwear lady, because we totally had an underwear lady that sewed all our underwear, our long johns. Yep. And she says, goes and asks her to make me some soft underwear that I would actually wear. <laughs> and so she gets me that and I just kind of was like pretended to wear it and then I didn't. And when I moved to my grandfather's, they'd actually feel my arms like pinch my, you know, to ah, see if you're wearing it. <laughs> but then I got a cool trick. Like I actually cut off a sleeve of a long john and I just wore the sleeve. Oh. So that when they feel me, they'd feel an underwear sleeve, but I wasn't actually wearing it. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, because the the long underwear out there, or I don't remember, was it ever referred to as a garment, or was it just long underwear? Do you remember? Celeste? As far as I know, it was just long okay. underwear. I never heard it called a garment, as in my experience. Okay. Um, and that I think that's coming but, from the yeah. mainstream LDS church that I'm getting that idea, but. But the, yeah. the long underwear in the FLDS growing up for well, me as well. they got their idea from the, the garments. The, the... From, from Joseph Smith way back in the beginning. Yes, yes. But it was a sign of a sign of your commitment to the church, and uh, it was it was a it wasn't an option. You had to wear it. So when you say you decided, eh, I'm not going to wear this anymore, that was a really big deal. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the the 
my mom and you know the people over her were kind of worried about it because that was like oh she's being rebellious oh my goodness and it was so hilarious to me to see like my grandmother my maternal grandmother's reactions to <laughs> me rebelling and so i kind of just it fueled me a little bit yeah. so i stopped wearing my underwear um i stopped doing the little wave thing and i cut bangs in my hair Ooh. and they looked awful <laughs> But I did it to rebel, so <laughs> I was proud of myself. Wow. So I, I'll i have to find pictures. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, I totally had this big, huge plague wave with a bang sticking right out of it <laughs> that I just watched off. Wow. So you, <laughs> you cut your poof then, right off. Yep, I cut my poof off. <laughs> <laughs> then also, like, wearing your rolling up your sleeves on your dress either above your elbow or just below was it really bothered the authority figures in my life and so i would do it all all the time okay so it <laughs> seemed like you got to the point where after your father passed away that you just didn't really care what the church thought of you mm -hmm. anymore at that point is that what no. i'm understanding were you was your goal yeah, to get much. kicked out like was it was it i want to get kicked out or i just want them to know that i'm unhappy with my situation I wanted to get kicked out because I tried to leave on my own uh, when I was 16 and my grandfather picked me up. And of course, there's like hours worth of gaslighting you into thinking that you're doing the wrong thing. After they picked me up out of hurricane, they're like, no, you're you're not leaving. And they used the whole legal thing like you're we'll call the cops because you're not 18 yet. And so they were they didn't let me leave the first time. And so I had to start being like, well, what can I do then? Because if you're not going to let me leave and I want to then I'm going to figure a way to do it. And so I, I got to the point where I didn't hide my, my secret cell phone anymore. I didn't hide that I was texting other boys. Ah. I didn't, I, like my grandfather knew that I was texting dudes and I was really <laughs> defiant about it. I said, if you take my phone away, I'll just go buy another one. And, and I will figure a way out to St. George and I will go get another one. Wow. And then <laughs> That leads up to where I got kicked out and he had actually pulled me into his office one time and was accusing me of having sex when I never had. I was not at that point. And so he just sat there for a really long time in his office trying to get me to admit what I hadn't done. Wow. <laughs> and I was so good at the silent treatment with him because I knew it made him so angry <laughs> that I just sat there and didn't say anything <laughs> until he got so sick looking at me that he told me to go out. Wow. <laughs> so Jeez. not, you know, not, not behaviors I want to carry on, <laughs> but they were survival mechanisms for me at that time. When you tried to leave at 16, did you know somebody that had already left that you reached out to? What did that even look like trying to leave at 16? Because I'm guessing you didn't have a driver's license and you're the oldest. No, so you didn't have any siblings. Oh, I did. Oh, you did. I did actually license? have a driver's license um, because my grandmother was pretty chill. So my, on my step-grandfather that I was raised by after my dad was kicked out, um, that's actually where I got my introduction to living in polygamy because I, I actually lived in the house. They reassigned my sister and I to different mothers. They said, your mother is no longer your mother. You respect her as the person who gave you birth, but you don't have to obey her. And she's not your mother anymore. And they wow. gave me to my grandmother, Colleen, my April or my sister, sorry, to my grandmother, Diana. So I didn't know this till years later, but my mom cried for weeks because they took her daughters away 
and she just tried to swallow that pill. So were you in the same house with your mother and you were just assigned to somebody different? Yeah. So she was down in a little apartment on one end of the house and they moved my sister and I upstairs with the other mothers. So it was like we were there with their birth children instead of down there with our mother in the apartment that my brothers were in with her. Wow. And they left all my brothers with her. That's so cruel. So, so they just kept, it, it was just a psychological yeah, game. At that it, in her face, like it was in her face um, that she couldn't have her daughters as her daughters anymore. And we were her only two daughters. Like she wanted a baby girl so bad. Be, you know, she loved us, but she wanted another baby girl. And so she didn't get one. And so when that happened, I think that was really, really psychologically like, oh, it's horrid for her. And it's actually the more it dawns on me, the older I get, I'm like, wow, that was actually really, really, really horrible. Oh, yeah. Because it alienated me from my mom. I started feeling like disrespectful towards my mom. Because they had given you permission to do it. Yeah. 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 And they encouraged, they are almost like encouraging about it. It's not like they came up to you and said, thank you for being disrespectful. But <laughs> they were like, they didn't get after me if I was flippant with her or disrespectful to her. So it was your grandmother that became your mother was the one who let you get a driver's license and kind of have more independence. She loved the teenagers. And so all the teenagers in the house, she was their favorite mom. And so, yeah, she let me get my driver's license. And actually my grandfather made it a point to take all of us kids out to the Grand Canyon and the Kaibab Mountain several times a year, at least twice, if, if not more. And so we actually did do that a lot. Um, I got to go on business trips with him sometimes when he was going down to help one of his son-in-laws get their contractor's license. So we had to go to New Mexico and then to Colorado. So we got to get like little Airbnbs and stay in them and we got to go to Aspen and Durango and Albuquerque, New Mexico wow. when I was still in. So those were fun memories. My grandfather did do the best he could with what he knew, I think. Um, I really do think he tried to, to form a connection with us kids as time went on. And he still considers me his daughter today. I don't know if anybody knows that he talks to me still, but he'll still text me. Wow. So. so he still follows Warren Jeffs at this point then? Yeah. Okay. So where did you go when you were 16? Um, when I was 16? Okay, that's a story. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I went with my then boyfriend at the time. And I can't, I don't want to mention names, yeah. but we went down to the house where the stoner crowd hang out. That's uh. kind of was my <laughs> out. Um, that was when I started really thinking, okay, this could work. I'd steal my grandmother's car. Um, during the night and I would drive down to Hurricane to go get stoned with a little stoner crowd of ex-plug kids that had just left. Mm. And it was, we were just, I mean, the kids there were, they were, everybody was just a kid still and just not really knowing what the heck to think because we're all out in this big world now and what do we do? And I kind of fell into that crowd instead of the drinking crowd because that was kind of as a teenager when you left and stuff, then uh, the, the norm was to just go party hard even before you left if you could get away from your house and you know not get caught then there would be people teenage kids from in the religion going out to these beer parties in their flip clothes <laughs> and so <laughs> there was like crazy wild parties out in the sticks 
So I left with my that time boyfriend down to that little house and we were sitting there and he's kind of just like, I told him, well, I want to leave. And he's sitting there looking at me like, what? Like, and I said, I want to leave. I want to come live with you. And he was just like, well, uh, I'm staying in these guys' utility closet right now on a king size mattress. Because <laughs> he wow. had just left too. So he was staying in a little tiny room with stud walls and a water heater and a twin size mattress and a dresser. Yeesh. Wow. And my boyfriend was like, he was probably like, um, excuse me, I can't take care of you. Yeah. You know, because the way that the girls are raised is that you're going to get married and your husband's going to take care of you while you have his children and you keep the house and you keep all the house afloat, then he's going to take care of you financially. That was just the way that they raised us. And so that's one thing that that I got to over the years learn to to uncondition my brain from thinking like, is like, I can go out and make my own money and I'm independent. I can, you know, like, that's what I told myself. I told myself that as I was out more years. But so 16 didn't work. Um, then I had to start thinking, what should I do that will get me kicked out? Because I'm sick of this. They tried to keep me as busy as they could so that I couldn't do any mischief. I did steal the car and take it down to smoke with my friends um, probably three times. And I only got caught once, but not by the cops. <laughs> and they had called them on me. So the cops were looking for me. And somehow, I mean, I'll tell you what, it was just by driving not like an idiot. I just drove the speed limit. Nobody knew it was me. Yeah. (laughs) So they kept me busy and they were like trying to find things that would keep me occupied. Um, So I helped run the health food store. There was this health food store that used to be called Garden Gate Specialties. And that was ran by my grandfather. Um, And I worked there a lot as a cashier. And, you know, I stocked shelves, cleaned shelves, you know, just helped run the store. So I got to know a lot of knowledge about herbs and like natural remedies and stuff like that, which that's always been useful for me throughout my whole motherhood, like was just (laughs) that I was actually able to, to know a lot of those nice remedies so I don't have to run to the doctor not knowing. Yeah. Now I remember seeing Garden Gate uh, before. I'm trying to remember if I've ever actually entered the store, but I remember seeing it. So it was just health food. It was like you would go in there and there would be all the supplements and herbs. They had bulk herbs on the back wall. They had like healthy treats that were healthy alternative treats, Mm. healthy alternative sodas. And this was way before that kind of stuff was popular or as popular as it is today, I should say. But they did special orders for people. So you could go in there and request a special order of like an herb. And if it sold well, then, then they would continue to order more of it. And I got to know a lot from working there. So it was a good experience. And like, I did appreciate like my grandfather and his like, uh, well, like not everyone in this family, but there was a lot of his family who were actually really helpful in teaching me how to be motivated about life. And, you know, whether it was a good method or not, it, it did help me to actually turn how, learn how to turn my, my pain into something else. So what was the final straw? What did you, what were you able to come up with to do that was so bad that you could get kicked out? Um, like, so it didn't actually, at the time I hadn't planned it out that meticulously. Like I didn't say, okay, I'm going to go do this and then I'm going to get booted. I just was so fed up with everything that I didn't care what the repercussions were Mm. because I knew at some point they had to be 
kicked out, right? Because I wasn't trying. I had stopped. I had stopped wearing the the clothes the way they wanted me to. So I would sew my own dresses so that they could hug my body. Um, I was wearing like makeup. I wore mascara every day because I have light eyelashes. And when I was younger, I was really insecure about it. And so my grandmother actually let me wear mascara if I would only wear a small amount that would just make me so that my eyelashes would pop. But if I wore them to where they look big and fake, she'd be like, oh, wash that off. (laughs) (laughs) And so did get to wear a little bit of makeup. And then she, they, they were way more chill as far as your clothing. So you could actually wear regular pajamas, like shirt and pant pajamas to bed. But if you came out of your bedroom, you had to put a robe on so that the boys wouldn't see you without a robe. Mm. So that was a big deal. Like if you're going to wear your pajamas, you can, but only inside your bedroom with the door shut. Wow. See, that wasn't, my sisters were not allowed to wear pants of any kind. So it was always pajamas in dress, in dress form. Yes. Like nightgowns. But I did have my grandmothers going through my drawers all the time to make sure that what I would buy with my money that I earned from Garden Gate. Like they paid me $3 an hour (laughs) and the money that I would earn from there, I would take it and buy myself clothes. I would buy my wicked music, buy myself shampoo and not whatnot. And so I, I mean, wicked, I'm talking Avril Lavigne. I was going to ask you what your version of wicked music is. To the FLDS, wicked is anything that's not created by the church, basically. Exactly. So worldly music. My very favorite artist was Avril Lavigne. Kelly Clarkson was one for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, we had Bowling for Soup. Yeah. Um, and Limp Biscuit. We actually got into some- <laughs> Watch <Okay>. out. Watch <laughs> out. <laughs> like, yeah, we, and then we started listening to like some of those ludicrous, you know, oh. we would always, when we were rebelling, that was one of the things that we would do was we would get in my friend's car and turn on Ludacris and just jack it, jack it all the way up <laughs> oh, and ride through the streets with our music blasted. It's super funny. Oh man. It's probably just to feel like you could choose to live your own life on occasion, you know, get out of, get out of this bubble. Yeah. The only thing that really made you have, you know, just feel like this is so fun, you know, exciting excitement was to do what you were told not to do. Mm. Um, And so that was what led up to me. So I had talked to boys for a few years and I had uh, a phone boyfriend that was my little crush (laughs) or whatever Mm -hmm. that we would just talk on the phone. He was working in whatever state I was in the creek and we would just talk. So we talked a few times for a couple hours at a time and then it just kind of fizzled out and it wasn't really because... I said, you're not my boyfriend or anything, because I don't even think we considered ourselves boyfriend, girlfriend. We were just kind of getting to know each other. And then I just, for whatever reason, I think his dad found his phone is what it was. And he found that he was talking to me. And so um, he took his phone away mm. and they I, they did tell my grandfather, but I just told my grandfather I wasn't giving my phone up. And if he took it from me, I was just going to go. Well, at that time, I didn't say that, actually. No, that's wrong. At that time, I had somebody else's phone and so they thought i had a phone when i didn't and but i stopped talking to him i can't remember how long it was and then i started talking to another kid that i dated for a couple weeks then we decided to part ways because my grandfather's boys didn't like me 
And so he was trying to impress them. Like they were probably rude to him about liking me or something. (laughs) And so he decided, okay, we can't be girlfriend and boyfriend. And so he asked me to get, he had bought me a phone and he says, can you put that phone in the grass or whatever so I can get it? And I was like, yeah. So I gave it to him. I gave it back to him. And then probably a day later, this kid that I knew that was his, it was his friend. um, He texts me and he says, so I heard that you got dumped and I was like, yeah, it sucks. But I hadn't even shed a tear because it was like so <laughs> like, weird. I mean, I don't know what the hell dating was. I know exactly what you're talking about. The whole talk or you say a phone boyfriend. I totally had phone girl- girlfriends that I never really ever saw, but just. You never saw them. You never slept with them. You never did anything with them. They were just your phone. Text them or, or call boyfriend. them. And we felt, or at least I felt so guilty you know, because I was talking to the girl. And the poor boy, they got so guilt trip that if you like poison these girls, you know, like that was, I, I remember that snake being thing. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, such snakes, you know? <laughs> and then after that, this kid asked me out and he says, do you want to be my girlfriend? And so I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? So we start having the same type of relationship where it's mostly just over the phone, sending text messages, you know, like flirting the best way we knew how. And so when we would see each other in person, it was so, so awkward. Like I had to have my best friend at the time show me how to hold hands right because I was sitting there like holding his hands like a handshake being like, <laughs> like how do I even <laughs> hold your hand? <laughs> and so she's like, look, you do this. <laughs> there (laughs) and so we're like okay but we were really shy and so it was really awkward to hang out in person he was kind of the guy that i got to go meet all the little potheads that had left i mean that's probably kind of mean to say i'm not saying it in meanness or judginess i just like because yeah like i i liked smoking weed better than i did drinking alcohol and so we would do that instead of drink and I could also go to meetings, just go to sleep. <laughs> so I did that. <laughs> That's your, your, way, your way to sleep through it, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting going to meeting like in that state of mind. It was really weird. <laughs> so how did you get? How did you end up getting caught? Because you got caught. I mean, I'm guessing for them to kick you out, you would have had to. That's what I was leading up to. Now I remember. So this one kid that I was with, he's actually not the kid that I had to go get married to. Like I said, I knew nothing of healthy relationships or how you should treat a guy in a relationship or anything like that. And so I'm seeing this kid. We're seeing each other for about a year on and off because he would be gone. Sometimes he'd get his phone taken um, or I'd get mine taken for a little while there. And then we wouldn't be able to talk to each other for a few months and then we'd reconnect. And then like if he was in town, then he would come and get me and we'd go on a walk right at that time cottonwood park uh which was like the you know the community park that park was abandoned by anyone from inside of the church because bruce wisen had come out and started to say if you don't pay your taxes you're going to get your property taken away and whatever the whole thing with wisen was wisen was the guy appointed by the state of utah to come out and start that whole process and so because he came out there and because they what they this is what the people in the religion were saying at the time was that apostates had put a shrine 
in the park, which is actually just that little headstone that you see when you first drive in that has a cute little saying on it. Mm-hmm. Paw States had put that in. And so nobody was allowed inside the park. And so we would go in there to smoke weed because not even the cops would drive through there. Oh, man. So the cops were also members of the FLDS, right? So they didn't feel like they could go in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was what me and this kid did together, kind of, you know, like we'd just hang out. And so we were so shy. I never, we never had like conversations about our personalities or normal conversations that you would have. It was so weird, but it was good times, man. How did you end up getting to the point where they were kicking you out? Did they find you with a boy? Did they just hear about it? What happened was I got caught sleeping with this kid that had asked me if I would, you know, hang out with him. And so we actually went through and like we fornicated. And so when we were, we were in this school building. Okay. And it's the middle of the night and I thought nobody was there cause it's 3am. And I knew that my grandmother's classroom window was not latched. And so I just slid the window open and we jumped in there. So apparently the janitor was there at 3am. <laughs> oh no. They're not. I mean, <laughs> Oh no. Not the janitor. So he saw and he reported it to Lyle. And so that was how we got caught. Hmm. We didn't know that at first for quite a while. The next morning I go home. Well, I go home, obviously the same morning. Um, and then I wake up later and my grandfather says, I need you to come into my office and talk to me. And I was like, okay, now what? He's just going to say something about try to talk me into giving me, giving him my phone or something like that, or asking me where my wicked music and movies are because at that time I had quite the collection and I got good with computers. So I would just copy it all onto a computer. And when they took my CDs, I would just burn more CDs. And (laughs) this, like, I was such a hardcore rebel. Like I, as far as hardcore out there goes, you know, like (laughs) I just, everything that I could do to tick them off, I would try to do it if I thought that it would help me to just, be able to do whatever I want. And so then he calls me in and he says, where were you at 3.30 or 3 a.m. this morning? And I says, I was at home in my bed sleeping. He's like, no, you weren't. Where were you? I was like, I was home asleep. And he's like, well, I'm going to give you one more chance to tell me the truth. So where were you at three o'clock this morning? I was like, in my bed, because I thought there was no way he could have known. And he says, no, you weren't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You were having sex with so-and-so. Like, And I was like, (laughs) he knows (laughs) and so i was just like yeah um (laughs) so he's like okay get your things we're gonna go see the bishop and his parents are gonna be there and he's gonna be there and we're supposed to meet at 11 o'clock and so we go up to meet lyle jess at the bishop's office and he just you know reprimands us or whatever tells us some little sermon about how fornication is so wicked and this that and the other and then he uh asked us if we loved each other and we did we kind of just like wait what and we're like i guess i i mean one of us didn't reply and one of us said i guess (laughs) (laughs) and so he says well i think the right thing to do is for you guys to go get married because you did this if you want to like you want to make it right with God and, you know, be able to stay or to come back to, to repent, to try to come back, then you're going to have to go get married. And so they asked us if we ever wanted to come back. And I said, yes, because I think of my family, you know, I'm thinking, 
you know, like I think of my, my mom and my brothers and my grandma and all my grandmas and my grandfather. By then I'd formed pretty close relationships with some of the kids that were my age, that were my grandfather's kids. And so like, I, and, and I had lots of friends that I didn't necessarily want to be out of their life. So I sit in there saying yes. And so he says, okay, well then you're going to go get married and you're going to write letters to the prophet and to me every single, like what, however many times he said it, like month or week or something. And just so you know, it's going to be a rocky road for you guys to come back. And so he's pretty much telling us right there that I'm going to make it a pain in your ass if you try. And then he told us to stay away from the rotten apples. <laughs> he called apostates rotten apples. Oh. <laughs> so if you had left the religion, then he called you a rotten apple. And that's how he talked to the people who were still in. He would tell everyone that was still in, especially the young kids, like, if you go hang out with those rotten apples and they'll corrupt you and all this horrible stuff. Then we go just get a legal marriage and my parents, my mom, my grandfather and my grandmother, and then his parents emancipated us because we were both 17 at the time. So you really did go get married. Yeah. We went and got legally married. And we, wow. so they, they just took us down to the courthouse. They helped us fill out the paperwork and they took us to the justice of the pieces house. And we had the ceremony. Like I borrowed a white dress and some pearls and my friends did my hair and we just did our little ceremony thing at the justice of the pieces house and had sushi after. And then they gave us a $900 wedding gift and an old Chevy truck and sent us on our merry way and said, you guys are out. They got all our shit loaded for us and told us you're done. And we were excited. Oh, I was just going to say, how was the boy feeling about this? Like, how was he feeling? Did he want to be kicked out as well? Was this just, like, was it a, a mixture? So um, the way he felt about it, he was really scared to get married. And he had, we both actually had people telling us like, hey, this is a permanent, I mean, this, well, like not permanent, but this is a big decision. You guys are so young. Like we had friends telling us that because, so I had a cousin who was born to a guy from out here, but a, a mom from a different polygamous group. So have you heard of the, I don't know if they're from the Kingston group or the all red group, or if those are two, this two of the same, but she grew up in a different polygamous background, but she had left. And so her kids grew up normal in hurricane, but she was trying to tell him like, Hey, think about this. Like you're so young, you, you need to go experience life. You're just a kid. Right. And he, so, so at first we're, went back and forth. We weren't going to do it. And we started trying to figure out other options if we didn't do it. But then on the other side, we had our parents and our grandparents really pressuring us to do the right thing. And he got threatened that he was going to have to just go to concrete in Phoenix and be stuck down there if he didn't get married to me. And so he kind of felt like, I guess it was the better option for both of us, you know, because we did not really know what we were getting into. And so we decided, okay, I guess we'll do this. And, and it got our parents off our backs because yeah. I was going to go up to Salt Lake City with a friend who had left with her boyfriend. But they were a little I think they're a little older and they were um, getting a place together. They were trying to. And so I was going to go up there with her. But then I decided to just go ahead and, you know, listen to my my grandma or my grandfather and my mom and stuff and just go through with it because it was really intense. Like if, if I wasn't 
like, I don't know how to explain it, how it was other than like, they would sit there and talk to you and talk to you and talk to you and talk to you until the words are just going like pouring in, however you do this, pouring in here and spilling out here. It was just overwhelming, just like telling you how, you know, if you want to do the right thing, then da da da. And sometimes my grandfather took it, you know, took the liberty to read me a big long sermon to try to get me to change my mind about things. That's how it was for me. And so I have a hard time when, when, when I feel like a person is preaching at me. Yeah. So you guys get married and you move out together, but you still barely know each other. What was that transition like? It was really a blur. Um, it was, it was exciting and kind of, it was nerve wracking too, because we leave right at a time where like at the end of 2008, it was so hard to find a job, especially if you didn't have like a resume mm. of any kind because of the crash. And so we're, we, we had a hard time finding work. And so right after we left, we, we stayed in a motel in Hurricane and then stayed there for, I want to say a week. And then he got a job offer up in Salt Lake City working for somebody that he knew doing framing. He was promised an insane amount of money for the time. Like for the time, if you were getting paid $800 a week, that was just phenomenal money because nobody was having a good time finding a decent job. Yeah. And so we go up there in hopes of that. And it turned out that it wasn't as good as the owner thought it was going to turn out. And so he couldn't even pay any of his guys except for a few. And so he would pay the guys who had a wife or girlfriend. Wow. wow. And then the single dudes didn't get paid a dime. Yikes. Yeah. Some Yikes. of them, some of them to this day never got paid a dime and they worked for two months framing in the winter <laughs> in 2008, 2009. So like we're living in this crew house in Salt Lake city with, you know, not very much money. So we're rewashing our foam and plastic dishes and eating a lot of Mac and cheese and <laughs> spending, you know, whatever change we could scrape together in a big pile to go buy some alcohol to have a party with, because that was kind of like, I feel like a, a lot of kids around that time that left used that as a coping mechanism. Well, and getting used to the outside world and getting used to a new husband that you don't know that well, all at the same time must have been extremely overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it was. So I would actually have times where I would just sit there and lay on my bed and just be super like depressed because I couldn't talk to my family. And it started to slowly set in that, wow, they're going to start cutting you out like they do everyone else and you're not going to be any exception. And so it made me really want to go back. And so like, I still had the fear of going to hell. And, you know, I had that fear from the time I was a tiny kid though. Like, so, but I had it even more because in my mind I had done this sinful thing. And so now I can't be a part of the, the Lord's work or my family. For me, it was mostly family driven because I didn't really care about the sermons at that point. I just, I was so sick of them that I didn't really care. So we actually did go and figure out better work. We were pretty broke up there and it was cold and we did have a lot of good times though, um, even though we were just poor little kids in a crew house. <laughs> Made the best out of it, huh? Yeah, we did. We had some really good times. And then we moved down to Las Vegas, got like jobs in cold calling people for refinances on mortgages, which was a flop for us because we had absolutely no customer service skills. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Coming from the creek was 
not easy if you're going to go trying to be jumping right out from where we were at to into customer service. And so we didn't like that. We had, we made no money because we couldn't turn any calls into sales. And so we left to Arizona and he actually ended up doing concrete for a guy that he knew down there and not, not his dad, because his dad actually owns a concrete company, but another person that he knew from here that worked for a different company because his ML was, I don't want to work for anyone that's from the Crick because they always screw me over. They'll pay me under the table and then they won't pay me what they say they will. Mm-hmm. And so his, his just bottom line was I'm, I'm not working for Crickers because he had had too many bad experiences and not enough good ones. Cause I know there are Crickers who have amazing companies, but his experience was not that. So we go down there and he starts doing concrete. And that's where I started out with my first son and with my first child, I was 17 and he was 17. So he's three months older than me. And we had him when we were 18. And by the time we were 22, we had three kids. Wow! And so my first three were um, my, my third, my second's my daughter. And then my third, my third child, my other son, he was my little surprise baby. Like <laughs> I had only actually thought I would ever have two kids originally. Wow. When I was younger, I always didn't want to have well, 16. I would say I had decided I don't want to have more than two kids. Um, and I don't want to live polygamy. I knew that I was 16. Interesting. Interesting that coming from a polygamist community with such large families. And so, I mean, even your mother had a lot of children, it's interesting that you had the idea of just having a very small family in their eyes. I just saw how it could go wrong in so many ways. I mean, I saw the jealousy firsthand that goes, that comes with when when women and children live all together in homes like that. And the father obviously favors one wife over the other. Mm. The kids pay, you know, like the other mothers in those those types of situations would hate the other mother's children. And so that was to me that was always like that doesn't sound very fun you know and i did it did teach me an appreciation for the way that my parents loved me and the way that they loved each other in front of us because i never remember them fighting in front of us yeah and so yeah they they tried as best they could to be loving and be the good as best of parents as they could be so the big question is then are you still together with your husband that uh, you married, at, married 17. at 17. You were almost forced by the church to marry in a way. Yeah. Um, I would call it just heavy pressure, man. <laughs> I, it was heavy pressure. But yeah, we are not together anymore. I'm super grateful that I have my three children with them that I do. Um, I actually have four total, but three with him. I'm super grateful that I have them uh, because I genuinely enjoyed every single piece of my early motherhood before my divorce. After divorce is a little more stressful because you're leaving with little kids and stuff. And so, but before that, I genuinely just loved being a mom because that's what I was raised to be. I just, you know, I was taught that you're supposed to grow up and you're supposed to get married and be a good wife and have children and raise them to the best of your ability. So, you know, repopulate the earth. Yeah. Or, or not re, but overpopulate the earth. <laughs> so I know that you had mentioned to us before that 
you ended up actually having the chance to move back to Hilldale with your children, correct? Mm -hmm. And so when you got divorced, was that still in Arizona? I moved back to, I, when I got, when I went through my separation and stuff, it happened that we were on the East Coast and I said, I want to go home if, you know, you want the things that you want that are, you know, not, not what I wanted. They weren't healthy for me. And so I just pretty much said, I want to go home at first. And I came out here in 2015 and I rented an apartment or he, he, of course he was shelling out financially for me. So he took good care of me financially when we were married together, which that, you know, it just, it made it easier to actually be able to go and get a nice place while I was waiting. But I petitioned for my dad's house, like almost immediately. Can you explain for viewers what petitioning for a house, what that means? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happened was the state came in and said, you guys have not been paying your taxes. Um, you're so far behind and the state's going to come and take your houses and foreclose on or not foreclose, but they're going to auction them off or whatever because the taxes were behind. And I think a lot of people thought, this is from the best of my understanding, but a lot of people thought that the taxes were being paid by the leaders and they were not. And so they were misled. And then the, because they knew that a lot of people didn't know what they did with the tax money, then they turned the people against like the government and stuff being like, well, we obviously paid our taxes. It's just religious persecution. Mm -hmm. So, so basically the, the state comes in and they assign people that can help divide these homes up and give them back to people who helped to build them or to help to contribute to the community in some way. And so you would have to go up to the, they, they call it the UEP trust office that was seized from the church. And then some new people took over, you know, from here and not from here. And the state kind of helped them get set up and then pulled out of it so that there was a, a board of the UEP trust and everything. So you would have to go up to that board and petition for the house you wanted and tell them why you petitioned for it and like what, what relevance to you it had and all that kind of stuff, what kind of contributions you'd given to the church. So if you did like free labor, then of course that went towards a discount on the purchase price. And so that was just like to try to, I guess, in a, in a way, try to help so that people could get their families' houses for a better deal. I know there's a lot of speculation on that whole thing, and I don't know the truth, so I'm not going to go into it. But I do know that I'm super grateful that I got my house for the price of a truck loan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's because, you know, like I nowhere else in the USA was I going to find a house for to raise my babies in and that cheap. And so I was glad that I got it. I got the keys to it right about the time that I told him I wanted the divorce. And so it worked out perfect. It really did. It was just like everything kind of aligned and I felt freer. I felt better. You know, the way I was treated in that marriage wasn't great. It was definitely like, yeah, it, it wasn't great. So it was a really good thing for me to be able to get the divorce and be done with the manipulation and all of that that was going on. And I got to start my whole life over in this, in my childhood home with my kids. Wow! So that's where we've been since 2015. And then I met my current husband now who my baby is born with and we live here. We've yeah, lived here 
since I lived in the creek since 2015, but I got the keys to this house in September of 2016. So right before my birthday, I got the keys or right after, right after. Wow. What a story. What a story. And just how, how great that you're able to go back now and live in your childhood home with your family and your husband and, and have your happy family there to, together now. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my brothers that left come visit us all the time. And so like, they get to come out here and stay. I'll be like, stay in the, stay in the office with an extra bed anytime, you know? So that's so cool that it got to go full circle, that the place that you wanted to get out of so badly ended up being able to be the safe haven for you to come home to and to start a new life and to have your family and have your children is really cool. Yeah. It's been good. (laughs) And for the viewers, just in case you're still wondering at this point, the Short Creek or the Crick as it's referred to, or Hilldale, the Colorado city area is primarily full of what they would call apostates now. Right? So those that still follow Mm -hmm. Warren Jeffs, aren't really there anymore. So it's a very different place. Yeah, it's a very different place from what it used to be back back when we grew up out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When when we were kids, it was more like if someone from out of town came into town, everybody knew. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh my gosh, there's an out of town. We didn't even say gosh. It's like, oh my goodness, there's an out of town. Yep. Yeah, I'm saying, oh my gosh, we're bad. I, I remember that. Oh, it's it's very interesting. Don't say, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Celeste, for being here and for being so open and honest about your life and story with us. Uh, is there anything that you would like to say to the viewers that are watching today? Any, any advice or anyone, maybe to people that are still a part of this group? Well, yeah, like in that regard, like to anyone, anyone that is in a situation like that, where things just don't make sense, like listen to your, your core, listen to your gut, your intuition, whatever you call it. I mean, because that, that actually, I don't know, it's legit. <laughs> If you have questions, keep questioning it. And if they tell you not to question, that's a big giant red flag and you should question 10 times harder. That's what I would say. I love that. I love that. that. Thank you. And for those of you that are watching that want to hear more about Celeste's story, she just recently started a YouTube channel. What's the name of your channel, Celeste? So it's actually uh, Lola's vlog. We'll put the link to her channel below so that you can see it if you want to hear more as she starts unpacking and sharing deeper, more of her story. But we are so grateful for you being on today and being able to share it with us. Yes. Thank you all so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Celeste. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you all soon. We'll talk to you all soon.